0: Let's read tonight Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read the first 10 verses of Hebrews 10. And then we'll read um, seven more verses from 19 to 25. Okay? And we won't, just to set you at ease, we will not be. I had planned to preach on that part, but we won't get to it. So, But I want it to be there. I want it to inform where we're going next week. Hebrews 10. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Remember those two words, draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes, when Christ comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the role of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, then Christ said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, I'm going to skip the next bit because it gives some important details about what was just said, but we're going to skip it for the um, sake of time for the moment. Verse 19. Since therefore, brothers and sisters... We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated or opened up for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This chapter of Hebrews is the big transition. This author has been laying out, similar to what happens in the book of Romans, he's been laying out a theological argument. He's laying it out, and, the, and there's uncertainty as to who he is. Uh, it's almost certainly not Paul. Some think Luke, some think Apollos, some think Barnabas may have written this. Um, but And it's, it's unclear who exactly it is because he knew the people by certain things he writes in here. He had a knowledge of these people and he knew that they were primarily Jewish Christians. And how he writes here, even though we don't know who it is, we're uncertain about that. We are certain that this guy knew what he was talking about. He knew... Uh, about Judaism. He knew of the principles and the promises and the value of Judaism and he's writing to say all of these things from the past point to what has now taken place. They were always doing that. They were always pointing forward as we talked a couple of weeks ago and he is aware. This guy is well well aware of what's taken place. That's why some think it was the guy Apollos that you read about in the book of acts who was it says a preacher without comparison this guy was so eloquent and was so good at speaking to the jews about the coming of christ and he saw many get converted that that's why some think this may have been him and it it, you know it stands to reason but in one way it doesn't really matter we don't know who it is but we know that the content shows that this guy knew what he was talking about, and he was taking all that happened in the Old Testament, and he was filtering it through Christ and showing, oh, that's what that was always about. This is what it's about, and he's showing us. So I felt that god highlighted this passage specifically this chapter for this advent christmas season i was sort of waiting and god what what direction should we go for advent for christmas and i felt like god highlighted this because it's christ himself saying you know uh when he comes into the world when christ comes he says a body you've prepared for me wow what a thought there was foreknowledge about what would happen. God becoming a human being, it was planned in heaven. It was, it was uh, set out. The purpose of what he was coming to do was already planned. Here's how this is going to go. A plan so rich that his enemies would not have dreamed of how he might do that. And God highlighted this passage, and I see three significant things in it. Um, There are many, but these three primary relevant features for us at the end of 2023. Number one, this whole book speaks of the coming of Christ. This whole book speaks of the coming of Christ, which is what Advent means, the coming of Christ. Two, it addresses, beginning to end, why Christ came. It gives the purpose of Christ's coming. Or, you could say, what he came to do. And three, and we won't get to this tonight. This passage, in particular, tells us what to do about Jesus' coming and ministry. We'll talk about that next week. So, in verses 1 to 4, the author kind of sums up the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. I know I mentioned this two weeks ago. This is sort of review. But he sums up the Old Testament sacrificial system, particularly the annual sacrifice made by the high priest on what was called the Day of Atonement, when all the sins of Israel would be covered by the sacrifice of a lamb on what today we call Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Atonement. This was God-ordained religious practice that demonstrated the devotion and faith of those Uh, among God's people whose hearts were truly yielded to him that not everybody some you know they would have gone about it would have been like Christmas where they would have heard oh it's the day of atonement and you know they would have had a, a a degree of reverence for the tradition and that kind of thing just like you see today but it would have been sort of like seed landing on Hard ground. It didn't really go in and mix and produce something in the same way. But it was a God-ordained religious practice that was that showed who was devoted to God, who did have faith, who among God's people had their hearts truly yielded to Him. So on the day of Atonement, it was like, man, I'm free. That sacrifice was for me. They would take it. So this The author is summing up all of that, but that system, even though it was uh, a God-ordained religious system, it was an interim arrangement. It was never intended like, this is the end. This is, this is all. This is where we're going to park forever. No, it was always pointing forward. It was an interim arrangement. And God had been expressing through his prophets for centuries that there was something more. As, as we read here in the first verse, it was only a shadow of the good things to come. This might be kind of good, but there's better things to come. There's good things to come. And God had been speaking for centuries. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And it's kind of enigmatic, and they can't figure it all out, but they knew certain things. They were expecting Messiah, expecting the Christ. Now, in the first verses of Hebrews in the whole book, if you look back for a second, you can make a note of this if you want and look at it later. The first 3 verses of Hebrews it says God after he spoke long ago to our forefathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days he has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world and actually that world that word world in most translations is translated universe it's a word that if you look it up it actually uh, and it means um a long period of time it's It actually means like forever and ever it 's used more of eternity and the word eternal than it is of a of a physical um, uh, thing The word when he says uh, through Christ, He made the worlds. He made eternity. He made it all. He made, that's why some say, "Oh, He's talking about the great eternal expanse." That the universe is how many translations now word that, and it's fitting. It it works. And He, Christ, is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay. I read that and I think, wow. The exact representation of God's nature. Now, I know I preached on this a couple of years ago at Christmas. But every time I read these few verses, especially verse 3, I think it's time to worship him. He spoke through his son. He is the radiance of God's glory. The the exact representation of his nature. He's not like the old system, the old interim system, which was good. This is the good things to come. He is the good things, the better thing to come. He's the exact representation. And I read this, somebody give God praise. He deserves it right now. I read the radiance of his glory. That's who he is. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. And then it says, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down. So, they'd always been told there'd be better things to come. Everything else was a shadow. A shadow is an outline. I see, a sh- I see shadows here. It's an outline. And sometimes you see a shadow and it's pretty detailed, right? It, it has enough detail that it's like wow that's my profile right there I see it or something you see a shadow but it isn't the substance there's nothing to it it's just kind of like a trick it's just light casts a shadow I saw a video earlier this week of little toddlers trying to get away from their shadow it was adorable but they they see it and it's like this little kid and and they're kind of and then they see it, because ah! it goes everywhere they go, ah! the kid's freaking out. And of course, that's funny, seeing it, because they look cute. And it's funny, because we know there's no substance to that thing. It will follow you if the light is right, everywhere you go, every move, because it's your shadow. It's, it's got something to do with every movement you make. But there's no substance in it, so we know, hey, you don't have to be afraid of that thing. It's, it's following that kid, but it, it won't do anything. If, if you turn the lights out, suddenly the shadow's gone. Then there's other things they'll be afraid of. But this we laugh, but shadows have no substance. Now Christ comes. He's not a shadow. He's the substance that's, that the shadow came from all along. However, many in Judaism still wanted the shadow. They wanted to keep the shadow and not the substance. They didn't want the substance because the substance required something. The the substance is powerful. The substance is personal. The substance does all kinds of things. He calls them to something even higher. But I'm going to get ahead of myself here. He is the good thing to come. And at his appearing, at his arrival, they... Begin to see the substance now. In the previous chapter, verse nine uh, eleven, the author writes, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle in heaven. It's like no more shadows. Now, it's all about the realities. We've got the tabernacle, the tent, uh, which is what a tabernacle was, or the temple here. But it was, and it says even in Hebrews, Moses was told, make it exactly according to this plan. Why? Because it was a representation of the heavenly temple. But now, or tabernacle, but now he's saying Jesus didn't make purification for sins and go into a man-made one. Nope, he's going into the one that... The earthly temple reflects he's going into the actual temple of God, the actual presence of God. He's doing that, I think, all the way through here. The message of Christ's coming is that we need a Savior. Amen? Amen. He came to save us. That's what he came to do. And from beginning to end in this book, it talks about Christ's coming. But it's never divorced from his purpose in coming. All the way through That those first verses. He, when he came, he was the exact representation of his glory. Oh, praise God for the baby born in a manger. But to God, there was one act. That baby born in a manger, he was there to fulfill the call of God to go to the cross, to bear our sins, to save us. That was the whole reason he came. So it was never like, oh, this is so beautiful. Don't, don't um, mess it up by talking about such a heavy thing. Nope, it, it, we're not messing it up. We're talking about why he came. That was the reason that baby was born, why he came as a human being. Why, it was to live among us, a perfect human life, die among us as a sacrifice, the only sinless man ever, to make a way for us to appear before God. He appeared here to represent God to us, took care of business here, our sins, so that we can now appear before God without fear, without condemnation, without this. It's a glorious thing, and he, and he never talks about the coming of Christ without talking about the sacrifice, purification of sins. The amazing thing to me is that the high priest, Jesus is sort of shown as a parallel to the high priest, but the high priest would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies, and he would offer this sacrifice. This high priest He's the high priest and the sacrifice. I mean, how could humans have done that? It's like, imagine the job description for the high priest if that had been it. Okay, listen, you're going to go in there and then we're not going to see you anymore. <laughs> it's like, huh? This, this job, you get one time to go in there and then you're, you're dead. You have to offer yourself. Nope, nobody wants to be high priest anymore. But Jesus did. Jesus came, the real deal. He was the high priest and he was the one perfect sacrifice. We had a Christmas Eve service many years ago and somebody read a poem in it and uh, a wonderful couple in the church that I knew very well, the guy said to me a few days later, he said, my wife was kind of bothered by that poem because the poem was kind of like the song, uh, you know the song, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would, and then it says the things he would do, would uh, rule the nations, did you know that, he, you know, the, the baby you've delivered will soon deliver you, and, and then things about the, his suffering and death. And the poem was something like that. And it it wasn't, you know, it wasn't gruesome or something, but it did mention that this child in this poem, uh, and it was kind of lengthy, but this child who you're holding, that these little hands that you're kissing, in a short 33 years, those hands will be pierced. His side will be, like the, these kinds of things. And it, again, it didn't go on and on, but this guy said to me, he said, my wife was disappointed she said can't we have can't we have one night where we don't bring that into it i i thought well i i know what you're saying it doesn't sound very christmasy you know like oh christmas you know we want nice warm feelings and you know like uh, but here and we're talking about the sacrifice that purifies us from our sins but without that, the nativity is just a quaint little story about just another young Jewish girl who gave birth in kind of less than perfect circumstances like that that the nativity is defined by what happened at the end of jesus' life I mean they're both you, you can 't take one from the other his The miraculous birth of God took on human flesh. That makes the crucifixion something as well. Because that was God in the flesh. That wasn't just any old person. That was God in the flesh that they crucified. So they both play off of each other. But the idea that somehow it is not Christmassy to think about this is not here in the Bible. From the very first verses... He came, the exact representation of God in human form, and when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's like, to God, that brief 30-year period, and when you think of how many thousands of years of human history, 33 years, is like, man, that is like a, a snap of the fingers, right? That's nothing. The blink of an eye. This one life, 33 years, and it's, he's there, he's gone. And he's changed the world. 2,000 years later, we're talking about that birth. 2,000 years later, we're talking about, what, about his death. 2,000 years later, he's still real to people. He's still coming like Casey was talking about. He didn't just come. There wasn't just one coming 2,000 years ago, and then we're waiting for another one. No, he's coming regularly. Right? I mean, why do you pray? Why do you want to, how do you try to know him by getting close to him? And he comes to you. He does things and he, he comforts and he encourages and he convicts and he challenges and he corrects. He does these kinds of things. So this whole thing of the coming of Christ, why did he come to go to the cross? Why did he do that? So that our sins could be forgiven and we could be saved. If the Christmas story is true, you can be saved. If the Christmas story isn't true, if God didn't come in the flesh and he didn't do what he did for us. You're lost in your sins. We're lost in our sins. And we're going to be separate from God forever. He came to save. From the first verses of this letter slash sermon to the 10th chapter, the emphasis of Christ's coming is to address sins. The sins that separate men and women from God. All men and women from God. And they result in death. So he comes to take away sins. To deal with it. Not an interim arrangement, but actually lift it off. And when your sins have been forgiven in Christ, next week we'll talk about peace will be the theme. There's a peace that comes that the world can't touch. And that's exactly what Jesus promised. The peace I give you, he says, is not as the world gives. This is a different one. By offering the perfect sacrifice. If Christmas is true, that God the Son became a man, then you can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven. You can receive forgiveness and freedom because God's Son has come to provide it for you. And here's... We're going to end on this part. God became a man. Just to focus on that again. Verses 5 to 9 talk about that. A body you prepared for me. Okay, to live as one of these, flesh and blood, like us, to do God's will. But unlike us, he lived a sinless life of perfect submission to, to God's will. That's where he lived in one of these, like us, a body in this world as it is. But what's different is from us, is that he lived a life of perfect submission. I haven't had a day in my life, I don't think, of perfect submission to the will of God. (laughs) Rose is saying, no, you haven't. At least not in the last 29 years. (laughs) She knows I haven't in the last 29 years. And the 36 before that, We're the same. And many of them even worse. But here's Jesus. Perfect submission. To the will of God. He says. That's what he came to do. You've given prepared a body for me. I've come to do your will. That's what I've come to do. The will of God. What is sin? A deviation from the will of God. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Whatever God says. If we deviate from it, that's sin. And his perfect submission to the will of God included giving his life as the one sufficient sacrifice for sins for all time. That's what it says in verse 12. That is one sacrifice that actually was a sufficient payment for sins to take them away. Not like the blood of bulls and goats that covered them and and god said in the old way okay you have faith in this this was the prescribed sacrifice you're acting in faith presenting that sacrifice your sins are covered in the new one the the sacrifice actually takes away the sin actually blots it out as jesus said or as the author here says uh the, uh, the old moves out of the way. He says, um, uh, he takes away the first order of things to establish the second. The old way has been superseded by the new. Now, he came this way so we could see God in a way that we can understand and relate to. This is why the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are so vital for us to read. We see what God looks like in a human form as a man, living as a man in this world. In, in them, we see God's attributes, his holiness, his beauty, his wisdom. We see those things in a way that we can sort of process. Oh, Jesus was faced with the situation, and this is how he acted. Oh, we're seeing God, perfect submission to God's will. We're seeing God in the flesh, what it looks like to be God in this world, how it is to behave in a way that pleases God completely. Now, if God just lays out abstract truth, we catch some things, but we can't fully get it. So when we see it lived out, like in the life of Jesus, it does something different for us. There's benefit in knowing that God is almighty, right? There's benefit in knowing that. I mean, we, our generation, I think, is probably sort of weak on the reverence side of things. R- realizing just a, a week ago, uh, we went to a, a funeral in a Catholic church, and there are things I would certainly not want to emulate. But there are other things where I see that there is a healthy sense and it could even be just reverence for tradition possibly and not reverence for the living god but still there's a there is a sobriety and a reverence um, in there that I think we could have if we recognize who it is we're dealing with the the living god of eternity who created the universe well, I don't just sort of waltz in, you know. Hey, God. Hey, pal. Hey, homie. No, he's not a homie. He's, he's God-omnipotent. I mean, that kind of changes things, doesn't it? There's there's a, a requisite humility that should be there all the time and a reverence that, wow, he is not just like me, only a little bit better. He's a... He, He's extraordinary. And I know I say that. I've said that many times. There's benefit in knowing that God is almighty. Benefit in knowing that he's beyond time. That he's glorious beyond description. Uh, As he said to Moses. You can't see my face. For no man can see me and live. There's benefit in knowing. That he is otherworldly glorious. But. But. Jesus appears to us in a human body so we can see God and not be destroyed by seeing him. We see God in a form that we can grasp. Oh, that's, that's how that comes about, in a form that we can emulate. Years ago, uh, when I was a welder, I took, a, uh, I took home a welding mask one time. And how many have ever seen a welding mask? You know what it looks like. It's, it's like a headband, a plastic band that fits tight like this. And the mask kind of comes around. It's on the sides too. And there's like a little rectangular window like this of really dark glass. And you, you can't really see through it unless you're looking at a really bright light. And, of course, a welder, it, when they're using that thing, and they're, that it's electricity running through there and it's melting uh, a welding rod, so it's melting that metal. And say you've got a crack between two things or two things that you're trying to join, that metal is not only just melting and joining, like going from here to here, it's actually melting the metal on both parts too, so that it becomes one thing. That melts, and so does the metal you're joining, but it's very bright if you don't have. Uh, that protective lens on there, you fry your eyes. And every now and then, there'd be a welder who'd be in some awkward position. They're welding something on a vehicle. And, and you get good at it after a while. And you've, if you're just standing up and you're going to weld something here, you go like this. And your helmet, just like it pivots up like this. You just go like this as you're going to arc. And you get, you can get kind of careless with it where you go to do it and you're just, you're going to, arc you go "Mm," and it lands down at the same time that the thing happens every now and then you go to do it and something happens it catches on something and you know if you're in a place where it's tight like on some heavy machinery someone's welding and they go "Mm," and they touch that thing right when they go with the helmet that thing is so bright and it's right in front of their eyes if it happens severely with glasses it reflects some of the light away, so I never got it really bad. But guys who didn't wear glasses, if they went, and their helmet didn't go, sometimes they had a thing which they called a flash. And they wouldn't come to work the next day because they had to be in the dark and have salve on their eyes because they, they damaged them. And I don't know long-term um, what that might do to people, but it, it was a problem. Well, I took a helmet home because there was an eclipse of the sun. And this had enough filter in it that, you know, it's like, bonus, I can actually see what's happening up there. And you could look through that thing, and it was enough um, protection, supposedly, that, you know, that you could look at it and see it happening. This, God came down, and that lens filtered the light so that you could see what's happening. Jesus' physical body was almost like that, like a filter where we can look at God and see, oh, that's what God's like in a human body. If we just saw him as he is, like he said to Moses, no man can see my face. It's like, no, you can't. <laughs> my eyes are fried. He says, no one can see me and live. It's like his glory is so extraordinary that we can we are, are, these earthly bodies aren't designed to take it in. So, so we have Jesus in human form, so we get to look at him. We know who God is. We know what God is like. We can a- approach, and it makes sense. It's like, oh, this is a human form. I can relate to that. I can understand what it's like. Now, Jesus took that form so that the character of God, the attributes of God could be applied and he felt the things we feel in terms of hunger, fatigue, those kinds of things. And how did he deal with it? Did he get owly when he was hungry? I don't think so. If we see God without that filter, it would consume us like a fire. But Jesus shows us how it looks as a man in the life of a man like us. And he's come close and personal to let us see. So so one of the things, and we're going to wrap. One of the things I want to encourage you in this new year, read the Gospels through again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them through. I know the first three are really similar in, in a lot of ways. But there are nuances, and there are things that you can learn from each of those. But primarily, we get to look at Jesus. We see him more. We see God in the flesh. It's really, really important. There's a, an exercise that you can do. I find this kind of thing uh, valuable. Is Sometimes you could take something and say, in this month, I'm going to read all four Gospels. And, I mean, really, it's uh, what... Uh, 44, 66, it's 90 chapters. So three chapters a day, and you could read all four of the Gospels in a month. If you did that for six months, you'd read each of those Gospels six times, and I can almost guarantee you that you'll see Jesus more clearly than you ever have. Just read it through. Three chapters a day. You could do that. Repeat that kind of a practice. I mean, you could do something like say, hey, I can read more than three a day. I could read nine chapters a day. And you could do that, you know, every whatever it would be. Uh, Every 10 days you read through all four would be uh, a lot. But you'll learn something. Jesus will become personal. You'll You'll be blessed. You'll be built up. You'll see God in the flesh how he should be. So let's get personal with him. Don't miss next Saturday when we talk about this part of it, about drawing near. I know that was our title for this week, but um, there was just too much good stuff. For now, take God at his word and the purpose for which he unfolded things this way sending his son to live and die as one of us to remove the sin barrier so we can stand before him if you haven't received forgiveness for your sins go to him ask for it it's already been provided and the first response to what jesus has done is faith he sets out the truth that he has come to live and die as a man's savior believe it respond to him in faith and receive the benefit of forgiveness that he lived and died for. I I will close with this. Your sins are no match for Jesus, for what he did. You might think, "I, I don't know if I could ever be fully accepted by God. Yes, you can. Your sins are no match for the sacrifice of Jesus. God is pleased with that sacrifice. It's more than enough. Father, I pray that you would do that for us. All this week, remind us that Jesus is more than, more than enough. Enable us to get personal with you, God. Even in anticipation of Christmas coming and all that this means for us, the, the warmth of this season, the blessing of this season, these Advent themes of hope, love, joy, and peace, I pray they would... Uh, grow and flourish in the people in this church. I pray we would grow and flourish in those uh, attributes, in those qualities in Jesus' name. And I pray that even this week, God, you'd pull us closer, that we'd get, we'd be personal with you. Thank you for doing so, God. I also want to just ask God, knowing that Jesus is mighty and he showed us how favorable you are um, during his earthly ministry in healing and delivering people of every kind of malady, every kind of lameness and sickness. And um, I want to ask again uh, in agreement with Michael for a healing touch on those In our church right now. If you need God's healing touch in your body or your soul, I want you to put up your hand for a second. We're going to pray for you. Good. Okay. And if there's somebody else in your life that needs that, I want you to raise your hand as well. All right. Thank you, God. Let's reach to Him in faith. God, we know that you heal. We've seen it in your word. We've heard of those testimonies around the world. And tonight, we simply take you at your word again. You said, in my name, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And I speak right now a recovering in Jesus' name. A healing touch, God, and a recovering right now for all in this place, God. I speak that recovering touch that healing touch in Jesus' name. You know each circumstance, God, and I pray for a healing right now on your people in Jesus' name. Thank you for it, God. Thank you for it, Father God. Bless, Father God. Bless your people. Thank you, God. Thank you. We simply ask, God, for healing in the powerful name of Jesus. Thank you for it, Lord. Your blessing, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I'm not sure if I missed others, but I, I pray right now, Father, for each one and those who aren't here tonight, God, that we know who are facing grave circumstances. We ask for your mercy to be poured out there as well and a healing touch that people would wonder what's just taken place, Father God. Do it according to your great goodness, we pray. And together, God's people said, amen.